Take your Bibles and go to Matthew 7, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to get the last part of this today. I dealt with the first part last week. I'll cover that ever so briefly so you have that fill in. And uh, let's begin in verse 1. Then the Pharisees and some of the Sadducees came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now, when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding to the tradition of the elders. Remember, this is not the word of God. This is the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And that's because they probably ran into Gentiles in the marketplace and they were defiled in their thinking. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? And he answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. He said to them, all too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father and mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is Corban, that is a gift, um, a gift to God or dedicated to God, then you no longer do let him do anything for his father and mother, so he doesn't have to take care of his parents. Making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. So Jesus was telling them, you created these loopholes in the law, and they're your ideas, not God's commands. And these loopholes are designed very cleverly to get you out of obeying, in this case, the fifth commandment. Verse 14, and when he called the multitude to himself, he said to them, hear me, everyone, and understand. Now he gets everybody together because a crowd had gathered, and now he's going to teach them. This is our text for today. There is how much, church? Nothing that enters a man from the outside which can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. All right? Jesus said it's not an, inside, it's not an outside-in problem. It's an inside-out problem. Problem's the heart. All right? Then verse 17. And when they had entered the house away from the crowd, probably Peter's house in Capernaum, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from the outside cannot defile him? Because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. Verse 20. And he said, what comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, 
lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from where? Within and defile a man. So we started this sermon last week, called it Heart Matters. And that's what Jesus constantly did. He brought it back to the heart. It's a heart issue. And if you'll remember, last week we started with, and this is in your outline, the criticism that being clean does not come by human effort. And if it did, those Pharisees would have been very clean. But Jesus calls them out and tells them otherwise. So uh, the criticism from the Pharisees is that his disciples were eaten with unwashed hands. And, and Jesus is explaining to them through his correction, which is next, that human effort can't make you right with God. Human effort can't clean you up. And I think, I think we think we understand that, but I know that we don't. It's not what you do to make you right with God. It's what God has done. Amen? And he's provided everything. Number two was the correction. Human effort only produces hypocrisy. And that's the whole issue with the whole Corbin thing. And these Pharisees were, were neglecting. Their parents were destitute. They said, oh, I wish I could help, but I de dedicated everything to God. And, and God wants you to be destitute because he needs me to give, give him all that I have. And Jesus calls them out on this. And I want you to think about this. How do, there's a whole multitude gathered around. How does that make these very respected Pharisees look in the eyes of the common people at this point? Not very good. Kind of like the greedy, uh, self-righteous people that they were. And think about it. The Pharisees, the, the biggest aspect of it, the biggest goal of the Pharisee is to look good in front of people. And what's Jesus doing? He's striking at the core of these folks. You look, you're, you're a hypocrite is what he calls them. And he, then he uses not the tradition of men. He uses God's words. And let me tell you, Isaiah had you people in mind when he wrote this. You know, you, you say all the right things, but your heart is so far from God. Um, and so he, he just kind of lays it out to these folks, and they, they don't really appreciate it, as you can imagine. So we're, we pick it up today. Number three is the commentary. The commentary. Um, and that is that cleanness comes only by Christ's effort. Cleanness comes only by Christ's effort. And that starts in verse 14 when he had called the multitude to himself. He said to them, hear me everyone and understand there is nothing that enters a man from the outside which can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile him. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Now that word defile means to make unclean. That was the word the Pharisees were using. The Pharisees were saying, because you're not following our rules, you are unclean before God. And Jesus says, oh no, let me tell you something. It's not your rules that make, make anyone unclean before God. It's your heart that has made you unclean before God. It's not a what goes in problem. It's a what? What comes out problem. It's not what you're taking in or how you're taking it in. No, that's not the problem. It's not an external thing. It's internal, and your internal is a big problem. And Jesus calls them out on that. By the time Mark uh, wrote, 
this. Now remember, this is Mark, John Mark. He's writing to the church at Rome, which was predominantly a Gentile church. The church has already become, has become far more Gentile than it was in its, in its beginning. Rome especially was Gentile because the previous Caesar had evicted all the Jews from Rome because they were causing so much problems. He kicked them all out. Um, <clears throat> didn't give them a choice. And for five years till he died, there wasn't a Jew in Rome. That church had already been started. So the Gentile believers just kept on worshiping and it became an even more Gentile church. Uh, so when, J when uh, Peter, uh, excuse me, when Mark is writing this, it's to a very Gentile audience. And the apostles by this time had, had already gone through Acts 15, which was, was the first church business meeting. It's called the Jerusalem Council. And the whole thing about this council was to answer one question. What do we do with these Gentiles who have truly been born again just like we have? And the sign of their being born again, the gift of speaking in other languages, has been very clearly exhibited. So it's not that they're not really born again. They are born again. They're, they're part of us. What do we do with them? Up to that point, you need to understand that in order for someone like you and I to enter into the worship of God, the true God of Israel, we would have to transition into a Jew. You'd have to become a Jew and everything that's entailed with that. And there's a bunch of, loop, of, of, of hoops that you had to jump through. Uh, it took a while. It was expensive. But you literally had to become a Jew. And even once you did, you would never be fully a part of the Jewish culture because you weren't a Jew. And so the question had come up in the early church just about 15 years in, what do we do with these people? And there was a good segment of the early church because some of the Pharisees had put their faith in Christ. Some of the priests who happened to be serving in the, in the temple when Jesus died, and they watched that veil be torn from top to bottom, and they knew what that, that meant. They eventually believed in Jesus. So you got some experts in the law, and they were saying, hey, if they're going to be a part of us, it's just, just like we've always done. They got to become a Jew. And some of the others were saying no, and they had a big meeting. And finally, James, Jesus' brother, um, stands up and says, look, here's, here's the end of the matter. Here's the decision. They do not need to become Jews. There's three things out of the law they need to do so that the Jewish people, we can still fellowship together and, and do life together. Let them keep these three commands and other than that, we add nothing more to it. And they settled that issue. Um, there was no more confusion, except there was still a lot, a lot of debate. People didn't, some of the leaders didn't accept that. And it created what would become a division in the church. So Mark puts his commentary in there in verse 19, and it's interesting. He says, thus purifying all foods. So, this is, this is Mark's commentary that probably comes from Peter, that somewhere in here, in this discussion, Jesus explains to them that the dietary laws aren't your problem. Food is food, and he declares all foods clean. Um, 
So keep that in mind. As a matter of fact, there's a whole sermon on that that I've, I'm putting together because I want to talk about that. There's, there's a lot of dangerous, I think, unbiblical ideas out there uh, of a lot of people going back to the law and living as Gentiles under the Mosaic law, including the, 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 the civil law and the ceremonial law. Um, and we need, to, we need to realize that that, that time had passed. All right. But Jesus' point to his disciples was that nothing outside in could produce uncleanness because uncleanness is a matter of the heart. So that's what we're getting at here. Human effort cannot produce cleanness because human, the human heart is corrupt. It's an inside problem. And his point here is in the commentary is that cleanness comes from Christ's effort. And that's what we're here to celebrate this morning in just a minute. right? We're not celebrating what we did. What do we do? We made the cross necessary, didn't we? Right? Our sin nailed Jesus to the cross. Jesus' effort, the effort of King Jesus is what causes us to be clean, not what we do. Amen? We talked about that in our D group this morning. What are some of the lies that we allow ourselves to accept in our thinking? And someone brought up, I thought very astutely so, the lie that, well, when I'm serving God or doing good works, God loves me more. Is that true? No, not at all. Right? You've got to be careful there. It's about Christ's effort. Jot this down in your outline. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We don't even understand the depravity of our heart before we come to Christ. And we know, don't we, that mankind is basically not good. Evil is bound up in our hearts. Matter of fact, uh, Proverbs says that, that evil is bound up in the heart of a child, even a little kid. And then he's got a solution. He says, but the rod of reproof will drive it far from him. Right? That was my dad's favorite verse. <laughs> uh, and, and, and what we see today is the result of parents not bringing their children to the standard. Not, because what? We've been lied to. We've been told, oh, no, they're basically good. And all we got to do is encourage the good that's in them, and they'll turn out to be these wonderful people. Well, if you've been a parent for more than a week, you know better than that. It's not. I mean, I like how Vody Bauckham says, he says, they come out of the womb as vipers and diapers. I mean, they come out of the womb fallen and broken. We all do. Demanding their own way. You ever heard a baby scream for no reason other than they just wanted some attention? Absolutely. They're, they're the Lord of their own ring. They really are. We, and we're all born that way. It's all about me. We're not basically good. We can't make ourselves clean, but all oh, the Bible tells us that the blood of Jesus can do what we cannot do. Amen? Jot this down, Ephesians 1, 7. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. How many of you glad that we have redemption? That means be bought back from the, from the power of Satan. Brought back. Oh, aren't we glad about that? And what's the, what's the payment price for that? The blood of Jesus. Through him, we have been purchased for God. 
through his blood. Forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Isn't that good? That's good news today. The problem here, Jesus is telling us, is that the heart of man is sick. But listen, Jesus came to die for sinful hearts, didn't he? To change us from the inside out. Um, and for believers, the path forward is clear. Jot these references down. Romans 6, 4 tells us that we get newness of life in Christ. We get a, we get a new life. Um, and that word, that word life in there can also be a, uh, is, is another synonym in the New Testament in the Greek language for heart. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we become a new kind of creation. Like, not sort of new, not reformed, not, not fixed up. A whole different kind. A new creation in Christ. A whole nother kind of person. And that refers to our spirit being one with his spirit. Colossians 3.10, we gain a new self. We gain a new self. Uh, we are to live out every day. We, there's, there's a new you. The core of who you are. Ephesians 2.24, this new self has been made in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The new you is one with the Holy Spirit. Romans 7.21, I love it. The new you, and the, I joyfully concur with the law of God and the inner man. That's the new you. You and God are one. And there's, there's perfection there, the perfection of Christ. And I love this, Ezekiel 36, 26. God has said he'll give his people a new hearts. Aren't you glad that verse is in there? He said, I'll take that heart of stone out of you, and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. Man, don't we need a new heart today? We really do. And then when we have a new heart, all of this changes. Now, Paul, now uh, Jesus is going to give his guide. Now, they ask him, they get back to Peter's house, where it's just the guys, and they said, hey, can you explain what you just said? And Jesus is amazed at how slow they are, right? And that gives some of us great comfort, your pastor especially. They were C-minus students as well. Um, my wife graduated cum laude from college, and I graduated, thank the laude. <laughs> I was glad to get out of there. <laughs> Amen. Uh, explain that to us what what is this about what do you mean and Jesus says okay let me explain it to you let me let me put it on a bottom shelf for you so he said to them are you thus with, uh, without understanding also do you not perceive or in other words don't you get it guys doesn't it doesn't it, has it ever dawned on you <clears throat> that what enters a man from the outside can't make him unclean before God It's not what you put in. Here's why. Because it does not enter his heart. In other words, it doesn't enter. It's not a spiritual endeavor. Anything you can put in your mouth and eat does not affect your heart, the inner you, the real you. It's all physical. He says you eat it, you digest it, you use some of it, you get rid of the rest. So we get a little biology lesson from Jesus here. And then he says this. Uh, verse 19, because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. Verse 20, he said, what comes out of a man that defiles him. What does he mean? It's the actions. It's the spirit of a man. 
the fallen spirit of a man, the unredeemed, unregenerate spirit of a person. That's your problem. And what comes out of that darkened heart, that dead to God, very much alive to sin heart, are these things. Look at it in your scriptures, verse 21. For from within, out of the heart, the core of a man, proceed, the first one is evil thoughts. Evil thoughts. Anyone ever had an evil thought? Not me. Not me. I love it. <laughs> Simon. Not me. I know your parents and I beg to differ, young man. <laughs> right? I love him. Yeah. He, he makes this whole list of things. And this all can, some of this can be kind of put together. And basically under this and the next few that come with it, he says the sinful heart produces sexual immorality. Sexual immorality, verse 21. Listen to me. Let me can I just make this clear? He talks about it. There are evil thoughts, uh, fornication. Um, I've got to find my spot here. Adulteries. All right? Evil thoughts, which lust, fornication, and adulteries. Um, it's very clear that this is a broad word, and listen to me, it covers this, Now I want you to hear me, it covers any sexual expression or intake, something that you view, outside of the holy covenant bond of marriage. Any sexual expression whatsoever. Anything. Did y'all get that? If you're, if you're married, and, and I, uh, today I got to define marriage. Marriage is between a man and a woman, period. There's no such thing as same gender marriage. Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's moral before God. That is not a marriage in God's eyes. It's just not. And it's not loving to confirm people in their sin. Just not. So any sexual expression outside of marriage, that comes out of a darkened heart. And if you're living in that right now, you need to check your heart. Jesus says this is what comes from a darkened heart that is not pure, that God has not yet touched. You say, oh, well, you know, I'm married and, you know, my... My only sexual expression is inside my marriage, so I'm good. Well, there's some more in here. Let me give you some more. It might fit you with these ones to come. The next one is theft. It says a sinful heart produces theft. Before Jesus changes our heart, we're bound to take from another what is not ours. You know what that is? That's cutting corners. We cut corners. Uh, we cheat on exams. We're lazy at work. We refuse to give to God. If there's something that we think we need and we don't have it, we justify in our minds taking something that belongs to somebody else that isn't ours. But let me say something here. I have known several people that this is a, has been a besetting sin in their life. And it wasn't until God began the work of drawing them to Christ. And when he did begin to draw them to Christ and to wake them up, 
he allowed, God allowed that person to become addicted to theft. To convince them that they are powerless to change that addiction. How many of you know that's true? You can't, I can't change you. And I can't change me. Only God can do that. And then I see them come to true faith in Christ. And guess what breaks? That addiction to theft. And instead, when Jesus changes your heart, he turns theft into generosity and diligence and contentment. You're content with what you have. He has another one here. It's called murder. He said the sinful heart, the fallen heart produces murder. It takes the life of the innocent. It kills the baby in the womb. That's murder. It, it mimics Cain by jealously murdering our fellow man, our brother. And Jesus said, if you hate somebody, you've murdered them in your heart. It destroys others through hatred. But when Jesus changes your heart, what do you end up doing? You, you, you begin to not hate others, you begin to build them up. You put them above yourselves. He says, our sinful heart produces adultery, violating the marriage covenant. It's a breaking of the seventh commandment in Exodus 20, 14. And by the way, every heart is capable of such long-term pain in exchange for short-term pleasure. How many times do we sacrifice the eternal on the altar of the temporary? And as the old Indian said, that's a bad trade. That is a bad trade right there. But when Jesus changes your heart from the inside out, you see marriage as honorable, self-control becomes your experience, and you learn that you are blessed to only enjoy the spouse of your youth. And by the way, fellows, I can't speak from the ladies' side, obviously, because I'm not one. But something that is very helpful is your wife needs to become your standard of beauty. And not just the style of your wife, your wife personally. And she is the only standard. And nobody else fits that standard for you. She's it. And to be satisfied and to enjoy what God has blessed you with. He said the sinful heart produces coveting. How many of you know what coveting is? Yeah, it's the desire for more at the expense of others. Right? It's wanting what God has not yet provided for you. It's a violation of the 10th commandment, Exodus 20, 17. But when Jesus changes your heart, here's what you get. He replaces coveting with contentment and Paul said that I've learned that lesson godliness with contentment is great gain if God hasn't given it to me yet I don't need it if God never gives it to me apparently I didn't need it I will he will supply all of our needs through his riches and glory in Christ Jesus There's, and you don't have to covet when, when Jesus changes your heart you become content with what you have and listen to this, and you, <laughs> this is the real test, and you rejoice for those that have more than you, or you rejoice for those that have what you really desire. And if that's happening, that's because Jesus has changed your heart. Because the fallen, sinful, darkened heart's default is to not only hate that someone has something more than you, you end up hating that person because they have what you want. Then he says wickedness in verse 22. 
These are schemes and plans that are deliberately evil. These are not accidents. These are on purpose. You plan out evil. The intent is evil. But when Jesus changes your heart, you know what? You still plan and plot, but you plan and plot for the other person's good. You scheme to bless people, not to curse them. To do good to them and not to do evil. To give, listen to this, with no strings attached. There's a big difference there, as most of you probably know. Next one, verse 22, is deceit. That just means lies. And how many of you know our society, our culture is drowning in lies today? Matter of fact, it's at the point you don't know who to believe what. There's so much lies out there. And the human heart, outside of God's touch, is prone to, to deceive, to lie all day long. The best intentions are deluded with half-truths and less than the whole story. That's deceit. It's one of the things that's so hard to teach kids as they're coming up is telling me a half-truth is, is really giving me a whole lie. Just shoot me straight. I don't know how many times I've said that to my kids. Shoot me straight. Tell me the truth. And listen to me. Telling the truth, truth-telling, loving the truth is part of of a heart that is alive to God and dead to sin. This word sensuality shows up, the idea of it, in verse 22. And this is a life that casts off all restraint. This is where addictions come from. And that's not just addictions to drugs and alcohol, although it is that. It's also addictions to sports. It's addictions to sitting for hours playing video games. It's not wrong to play a video game. I think it is wrong to play a video game for hours. I think that's a sinful waste of your time, and it does not help you. They're, 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 Sam did a study on, on uh, what video games, but it was social media and, and the brains of teenagers, and that was his senior thesis, and, and showed how detrimental constant social media use is to the, to the literal physical brain of teenagers. Your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's giving, it's giving your full vent to everything um, that your flesh desires. But I tell you what, when Jesus changes your heart, you get a taste for spiritual things that matter. That's why you can play a game for a half an hour and walk away. You don't have to get to the next level. You don't have to beat the game. Because you know there's more important things than that in your life. And you live by what matters that's going to live forever, not by the temporary Envy. We all know what good old-fashioned envy is, right? It it's, it's, it's goes along with coveting. But in this sense, you hate the person more than what they have. Have you ever been envious of a person? Don't lie. I have. I have. And it's a terrible thing. Um, but when God changes your heart, you, this is amazing, but you begin to celebrate what God is doing for those around you. Instead of hating a person for what they have and who they are, you begin to celebrate that person and to be truly thankful and joyful for something that has blessed them. I look for that in a changed heart in my own home, right? When someone, when one of my kids can be excited for one of the other kids because they, got to, they get to go do something that, that that one doesn't, that's when I know their heart, their heart is being changed by God.
It's the same with us. Slander, verse 22, um, speaking ill of others. God changes your heart. You begin to praise others instead of tearing them down, talking about them behind their back. By the way, slander doesn't always involve lying. How many of you know, for a lot of us, you don't need to lie to slander us. We give you enough material to, 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 to make everybody know who we really are, right? I think the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. Imagine that. Everybody doesn't need to know about that other person. Just God and you. And when he changes your heart, you begin to rejoice over the good in that person. Verse 22, the pride. How many of you know pride's at the base of all of this? Yeah. I, and by the way, notice that I is right in the middle of pride. You can't spell pride without I. It's a universal trait of a fallen human heart. Arrogance, false modesty. But when Jesus changes your heart, you know what? You trade in pride for humility. You start to put others before yourself. And then the last one is foolishness. Foolishness. The sinful heart produces foolishness. And you know what this word literally means? It's interesting. It means spiritual insensitivity. How many of you have had seasons in your life when you've just been spiritually dull? You've been so insensitive spiritually. Now you're chasing after all the fleshly stuff and you're trying to feed this gnawing dissatisfaction. Well, the gnawing dissatisfaction is never going to be satisfied by anything physical because it is spiritual. And the word foolishness means to be spiritually insensitive, to be dull in your spirit to the things that matter. I hear it said a lot today, and you've heard it too on, on, on social media and news outlets. As a, the encouragement is, hey, you need to be on the right side of history. Let me tell you something. You need to be on the right side of eternity. And being on the right side of history and eternity are often two different things. Because there are things today, there are lifestyles today that, that if you agree with them, you will be celebrated and exalted and even accepted. But I'm going to tell you what, you might be on the right side of history, but that's the wrong side of eternity. You need to think about that. And foolishness, foolishness is a dullness to spiritual matters, things that really matter. But, oh, when God changes your heart through Jesus, when he cleanses you, foolishness is replaced, listen to this, with the wisdom of God. The wisdom. You ever, yeah, have you ever run into someone who have, has the wisdom of God? Truly? Now, you talk about, you, you know it quickly. That's all, that person's got it. God has changed their heart. They are spiritually sensitive. And, you, and, and we go to them for advice, right? Because we know they're spiritually sensitive. That's, that's what God does for us when Jesus changes our hearts. So in this whole section here, back to the question at hand, the religionists, the Pharisees and Sadducees asked, why do your disciples, verse 6, not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with unclean hands, defiled hands. And Jesus' answer, simply this, because unwashed hands cannot defile them because the commandments of men, listen, cannot cleanse them. Your made-up rules 
can't, they, they don't even clean your hands, much less your heart. It's because it's their hearts which must be clean. And Jesus is saying, I will make them clean by dying in their place and rising from the grave. If they believe in me, new hearts will be theirs. Then they will be truly clean, actually clean, really cleansed by my blood. And all of this list that comes out of the dark and fallen heart will be transformed in them, and they will begin to produce the opposite. And I just want to say something to you today as I'm done. It's simply this. Does this list look like you? Be honest. Is that your default? And if it is, we, we need to start asking some hard questions. Don't bury your head in the sand on this. And I remember years ago, we had a family that has attended here. And their little boy, who's now a young man, I was doing a series on the Ten Commandments, and I was dealing with a, a commandment on lying. Should not bear false witness. And I, he was little. He was like seven or eight years old. And when they got home, um, he was in a foul mood, this little guy. And his dad said, Grant, what's the matter with you? He said, well, I just realized today, think about all the way home what Pastor Paul said. He said, I love lying. I don't care nothing about the truth. And I like lying because it gets me out of trouble. And then that wise dad said, what is it? What's that tell you about the condition of your heart? And that kid said, I need a new one. And you know what? God used an honest assessment in a seven-year-old to bring him to faith and repentance and, and to come to Christ. He can do that for you today. That's why God puts these lists in the Bible. Those are a mirror. Is that what's coming out of your life? Is that what your heart's producing? Then you need, you're not going to fix you. You try to fix you and you're going to get worse. You need Jesus. His blood will cleanse those sins. And you'll be truly clean from the inside out. And that's what we're getting ready to rejoice over at this table. So let's take a moment and pray. Let the Lord seek our hearts. And um, so that we would be wise in taking the Lord's Supper today. And then uh, I will close us in prayer and we will receive our elements.